Welcome back, everyone. I want to introduce my next guest, T.C. McCarthy. I'm going to let him give you a little bit of, a, of his own background because I'll, I'll definitely screw it up. Um, but in terms of the topic today, generally, I would start with a detailed backgrounder on T.C. And, and his writing career, which we will do. But since this episode's um, going to air on Friday, February 18th, and uh, we're, we, you know, I, we're going to start by discussing the Russia-Ukraine situation because I think by the following Monday, which is the 21st, it's the day after the Olympics, the day after the um, exercises in Belarus end, I think it's very, very likely that um, you know, the war will have started by then. So unfortunately, we're going to have to start with this topic first. So TC, uh, just tell the audience, you know, very briefly about about your background, and then we'll we'll get started. Yeah, sure. First, let me thank you, Sean, for having me on. This is really cool. Glad you're glad you're doing a um, YouTube channel, podcast kind of stuff. So uh, I'm a science fiction writer, first of all, and uh, published my first series of books was published with Hachette Books and their imprint, their science fiction imprint, which was Orbit, mm -hmm. and those are Germline, Exogene, and Shimra. And it's, it's really military science fiction. And interestingly enough, the, the primary adversary in book one is Russia, because I've never trusted those sons of you know what. And um, the, uh, the other adversaries in the subsequent book uh, books are um, still Russia in book two, but then we start transitioning over into uh, more, more kind of um, an Asian setting where China is the primary adversary. And then your, your background, your professional background? So um, I started, it's kind of relevant, kind of, yeah, relevant, yeah, yeah. got my PhD in geology in 98, 99, thought I wanted to be a patent attorney, got into law school, was working at the patent office, realized that I would wind up slitting my throat if I stayed on that, that career path, hated the law, most boring thing I could have ever possibly gotten involved with, very lucrative, um, but I gave it up when I got a phone call from the CIA asking me if I wanted to join, um, join them doing intelligence-related work on former Soviet Union. I did. Um, I became a weapons expert in uh, weapons of mass destruction. And from there, I went on to um, a career at the National Laboratories and uh, with Department of Defense. So um, done a little bit of everything. Uh, the interesting thing about what we're going to be discussing first is the topic of gray zone warfare, which is mm -hmm. kind of what I was getting into um, right as I was leaving the, the national laboratories. So I haven't done any, any of that work since, um, but it's, it's something that's near and dear to my heart. I hope I haven't forgotten um, all, that, all that I've learned about it. So, and when you say the CIA, you were on the um, director of intelligence side, not the, not ops. That's correct. I was an analyst. I was not an operator. Too, too cowardly to be uh, in the DO. <laughs> well, I, I, and also probably, probably, you know, not, not dumb enough with a PhD to kind of mm. go out into the field and, and get paid. Well, and that's true. They, they <laughs> tend to hire um, very young and, um, you know, uh, some people that they can mold from the get-go. Or former say. military or former yeah. military. It's like yeah. the two, it's like the two paths. paths. Yeah. Okay. Um, th that I know of, look, I don't, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't, that, that whole I, recruiting process I, is, and, is, is different. I don't mean to, if I sound like I'm being critical of them, I, I certainly don't mean to. That was the best job I ever had. In many ways, it was the worst job, but it was also the best job. I tried to go back there at one point, personal circumstances killed that. Um, and uh, 
you know, if, if I could go back there and work today, I probably would. I, I think I, I would encourage it for, for anybody who's even remotely interested in doing that. I highly recommend it. Stop doing drugs right now because that is still an issue, even though they've mm-hmm. legalized pot in certain states. Can't do it. Um, and then uh, if, so if you're, if you're out there smoking, <laughs> smoking dope, uh, give yourself about five, six, seven years, then apply. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, don't lie about it on the polygraph test. Mm. Even if you used it seven years ago, Yeah, you just be, be fully, fully. Absolutely. And you again, go... I, I don't, I, I have never taken a polygraph test. No, but just, you're right. Yeah. You have to go in there basically willing to be an open book. I did. I, yeah. I told them every single, uh, you know, stuff that I would never tell a therapist, right? I told, I told them I would never tell my priest. I told them. Because um, you just don't know what they know or if they can find it out. And it's better to just be honest and upfront and own it. Totally own it. All right. Um, so that's uh, your credentials are pretty. Uh, one aside, too, and, and we, we're, we'll discuss this in another segment. The fact that you have a PhD in geology really played into germline as an example, because you know, the war is over rare earth metals that that's you, you know, posit. So that just kind of was just. We'll discuss that kind of in an upcoming segment. Oh, and you know what? You know what? I'm sorry to interrupt. Bain would be mad if I didn't continue and say I'm now, I'm now um, writing science fiction books with Bain books. Uh, And the two books are. Yeah, the two books are Tiger Bright and Tiger Burning. So definitely check those out. This is more space opera, far future, um, kind of you know typical science fiction stories that are written to be entertaining. Um, This is not fine literature. This is stuff that you would pick up and and what I enjoy at the beach or something like that. And you also have two stories with me in, in which That's anthologies. We yeah, World in, War III um, and we World War IV. Yep. And, um, and one coming up. What's the title of your next one, Sean? Weird World War III China. Okay. All right. I always forget that one for some reason. Oh, I, by the way, I asked, that, <laughs> I, I asked that question on the Hulu episode as well. Ah. Right? Like, do you yeah. have, if you, if you do something that, you know um won't pass the chinese censors will it will it get that's a good uh, question and and the answer is interesting i'm 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 gonna let i'm gonna let i'll tell you afterwards so you don't have to you don't have to watch the whole video but no but uh, you know the topics of my books i've always wondered that am i am i stabbing myself in the in the back by making the adversary china yeah there's there's there is a very clear answer to that question okay um viewers will have to tune into the episode but just Remind me after this is over, TC, and I'll bring you. Yeah, we'll do. Nah, nah, viewers. <laughs> <laughs> you have to watch a one-hour video to get to it. So good, good luck with that. <laughs> all right, all right. Now I think we're like ten minutes in. I don't think we started talking about. The... Okay, so let's let let let's set the stage. So um, this is going to air on the 18th, um, but today is the 12th. 12th. Okay. So what do we know as of today? Uh, well, I believe that the Russian staff- Well, hold on a second. US staff, you, yes. you have a background that enables you to talk in some great detail about this too. Does your audience know what your background is by now? A, a little bit, right? I haven't, I, haven't, I haven't talked too much about it, but um, I spent five years at the National Training Center as a member of an organization called, uh, you know, uh, the 11th Armored Cavalry Regiment, but nom- you know, nominally there was the o- opposing forces, or Op Four, 
And I was uh, trained using Soviet doctrine and tactics so that we could um, fight against US forces in war games, large force on force war games, you know, brigade combat team sized elements. Sure, dog and 5,000 people on each side, hundreds of tanks, and the you know, where we fight in the desert, in the Mojave Desert, in an area about a thousand square miles, which is the size of the state of Rhode Island. And you know, I became an expert on you know, I, I learned how to deploy chemical weapons in, mm. in, in combat, I learned how to use FASCAN, which is artillery launched minefields to, to shape a battlefield environment. Um, which I don't, I don't, I don't know if I don't quite know if the U.S. uses those or not. I, I don't know either. Um, we we don't use chemical weapons at this. Yeah, we, point, yeah, we so. definitely don't use chemical weapons, but yeah. uh, the Russians do. And you know, there's a, and they have a difference between persistent, non-persistent, right? So if you want to slime an area for yeah. forever, no right? denial of terrain using um, using persistent agents is all part of their doctrine. Oh yeah, and we also used it to push people into kill sets. So, um, but you had to like look at wind conditions and, and, you know, there's a whole science behind it. That, That's tricky. Yeah. So that, I mean, so, which is oddly, which probably, we're probably the only unit in the U.S. military that knows how to, you know, how to utilize weapons. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear use. you guys were doing that. I didn't know that we trained that way and it's good. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> um, so, you know, I, 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 I spent five years doing that. And then um, I, you know, also, worked at the Harvard Stanford Preventive Defense Project. Um, my master's thesis was on plan B for Iran's uh, nuclear program. I wrote that plan in 2006 and, uh, you know, I don't know if it informed US strategy or not, but Iran still doesn't have nuclear weapons as far as I know. So um, maybe it worked, who knows? Yeah. Well, there's also there's also something, a little thing called Stuxnet that, that uh, <laughs> you know, it had something to do with that and i'd you know, love to say i'd love to say no comment as if i know the whole story i don't know anything about it so. <laughs> well i worked at a company that that i worked at the company that discovered it oh so wow it's i worked at symantec and they discovered it so yeah. i was kind of internally i was like guys what, what are you doing <laughs> so anyway um that's 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 kind of the background that i bring to this so let's let's take stock of kind of where where it is right now so you have um, you know, Russian forces kind of surrounding Korea, uh, uh, Ukraine from the north, um, the east, and sort of the southeast. Um, again, I'm reading like sporadic reports from different, you know, a lot of different sources, but, um, you know, I think some like amateur observer reported that there were six amphibious um, LSTs. Uh, yeah, LSTs um, that are kind of in the Black Sea right now. And each one of these LSTs can carry either 10 tanks or 360 troops. Um, I, you know, th those, if, if they were utilized, they would be utilized likely in Odessa, I think is the uh, right place. Def to... Definitely on the southern coast somewhere. Yeah, I, yeah. I, and, I... And, and maybe on the Kirsch Strait, um, perhaps. To, to seize that, so that the you know to deny Ukraine a land bridge to the sea, um, so 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 just in terms of developments, there's also the U.S. and Russia um, have asked all non-essential 
personnel to evacuate their um, embassies and consulates, or embassy and consulates in Ukraine. Um, I think that's that's recently, you know, recently. The exercise that's in Belarus is scheduled to end on February 20th, which is conveniently the same date, same day that the Olympics ends. Um, and those those forces are positioned north. Um, so yeah, there's there's you know, plenty of other developments. There's kind of diplomacy going on and things like that. But this feels to me like it fell back in October 2002 when I was in the army, and there were a lot of this. There was a lot of this diplomatic activity between the U.S. and um, you know other countries in the U.N. And at the time, I was. It was pretty certain we were going to war. Like there's, it's, it was more of a kind of. It felt. I I don't want to. I don't want to characterize it as, you know, uh, definitive. But it felt like it was. Um, we we were just going through the motions, and that feels like, that feels very much like, Putin right now. Like he's moved his forces into place, and and I say this over and over again on this show, but you can do anything with bayonets except sit on them. You don't move 130, and I think 130,000 troops are in place now. Um, there have been reports of field hospitals moving forward. Um, you know, there's an earlier report that he didn't have enough blood, right? There, you know, it was kind of a to point to maybe him having a big faint. But I think subsequently there's reports there were field, enough field hospitals to handle um, what was going on. Um, and again, I covered this on a previous show, but. Um, the days are a little bit longer in February. So in Ukraine in January, there are 8.5 8 hours of daylight. When it, longer, I mean hours of daylight. They're not <laughs> days pretty much the same like every day. Um, <laughs> so you have about you have 8.5 8 hours of daylight in J January, but you have about 10 hours of daylight in February. And then the, uh, what is it, the R R Rasputitsa? It's the name of the mud. Ah. Um, Rasputitsa, something like that. I, I probably completely murdered it, but um, <laughs> and it seems like the ground is still not hardening, right? It seems like a, a warmer, relatively warmer winter, um, which is not great for tanks. Um, if you ever operated it in mud, in Fort, in Fort Knox, I did. It's a um, it's a nightmare. Uh, but you you know you can still you can still it's not it's not a showstopper it's just really really inconvenient you can get bogged down yeah so that's you know those are tidbits from what I know but I haven't done a full refresh on all my sources in the last you know few few days you know, anything else publicly reported TC that um, I, I should add um, no. Um, I'll probably remember once I start talking other things that I've been reading, but in terms of describing the overall situation, I think that's a pretty good, pretty good starting point. So what do you think <coughs> happens from here? What, like what? Well, I think that um, I also believe uh, the date that you chose after the Olympics is, is probably a good, a good date. Um, that's from just reading news articles the way you have been. When you say how, when you say a relatively good day, do you do you mean that that's when the clock starts or that's when the well? Starts? First of all, let me let me let me be clear. 
I agree that um, the it, reading the tea leaves, there's going to be inundation. I, right. I, I'm not. I'm not one of these people who's out there screaming, "Hey, you know, the, it, this could all just be, um, you know, Putin trying to to bully its neighbor, and he's not going to invade." I don't believe that for a second. Putin does what he says, and um, just to make this um, broaden the picture a little bit. What people kind of haven't been focusing on is that what's going on in Ukraine um, is not the only thing that Putin and Lavrov have been complaining about. It's a much bigger picture that they've been signaling to the West is unacceptable to them and um, that they intend to do something about. So what I worry about is um, I don't mean to get beyond Ukraine. I'll just do this for a second and then go back to Ukraine. No, no, no. But this is this is important though. This is important yeah. to think about. Like, think what are like not only what are his moves in the next week, but also what are what's the longer term strategic objective? Yeah. So the longer term strategic objective is they want NATO off their doorstep. Period. It, it is really that simple, and we are on their doorstep. Forget about Ukraine. We've got two NATO countries. Uh, Sean, I always look at this and then forget for some reason i'm old it, it happens latvia um, estonia and Lithuania. thank you yeah yeah which of those two are nato countries i can't remember but the baltics um the baltics are already at play and after ukraine is taken which i think it will be uh the pressure only ramps up from there the question is so, what's the so, so, so let me stop you right there so when you say after ukraine is taken what do you what do you mean by that? Because well, I have a very all, I have a very specific conception myself of what of, of, of what that means. But I want I want to hear what you have, and then we and then I'll kind of I, talk about I, what I think. I don't have a specific um, idea of what it means, uh, but I will. Uh, there are a couple of specific conclusions I've I've gone ahead and drawn based on what you laid out in terms of the scenario that Russia is facing and Ukraine is facing. Um, First of all, uh, let me caveat everything I'm saying. I, I don't mean to sound inhuman or unsympathetic to the plight yeah. of the Ukrainians, um, but my job and my background is this stuff. It's very much the same way a physician, you don't want a physician who's going to come in wringing his or her hands, you know, oh my God, what if this person dies? You want somebody who doesn't give a damn about that. It's just who, objective and analytical. Just, and, okay. and by the way, that's that's my, that's my, I, I, that's my fault too. Like I have to like, think about emoting for, yeah. for, for things like because I just I and, and I think that's also why and and I look I hope I'm wrong but that's that's why I think I'm going to be right because I don't I don't have any emotional yeah. attachment to the to the situation yeah right and yeah. I'm just looking at the data and the data is screaming that something's going to happen but it is yeah I agree I agree with that assessment um but uh, anyway, I think that based on what you laid out in terms of what they're facing, weather, timing, et cetera, uh, I would have to conclude that Putin thinks this is going to be wrapped up in a very short period of time. And um, what's curious to me is that what we're looking at here, you, you drew the, the comparison between 2002, um, and that's exactly correct. I'll add to that. What the Russians are trying here is a very Rumsfeldian mm -hmm. um, kind of approach to conducting it's almost warfare. the same. It's almost the same number of troops. I think they yes. 160,000 in Ukraine Iraq. is a it's a big country. I don't know yeah, how it Ukraine's compares to a, Iraq. A lot bigger. Like, it, it, like it's vast, and probably the military is better than the Iraqi military. Uh, yeah, likely a lot better. 
And so it tells me that Putin has great confidence in, um, in his uh, armed forces ability to do combined arms operations, move quickly and, um, and coordinate everything. Uh, I, I don't know about perfectly, nothing ever happens perfectly in war, but uh, perfectly enough, right? To get the job done. Now you mentioned, what is the job? Take the entire country, um, again, I have a more, very specific. Yeah, idea take more of the happen. take more of the eastern part of the country. Um, I would argue they're certainly going to take everything uh, from the Dnieper River eastward, including Kiev. Uh, what happens west of that? I I don't know. I'm not sh even sure I have an opinion. So okay, so here's here's what I think is going to happen. So we talked about. Um, when when Operation Cobra Two started, which I think was the it was the invasion of Iraq, or the type, you know, and it was based on the um, Cobra Operation Cobra was a, an operation in to seize the I can't even pronounce it in French. It's like spelled fillets, but it's probably fillet gap or something like that um, in World War Two in France. So um, the invasion of Iraq was Operation Cobra Two, and then Operation I believe we used one hundred and sixty thousand troops. But Iraq is a much smaller country than Ukraine and had a much smaller population, okay? And likely was less sophisticated. But if you remember, we did a lot of PSYOPs in that campaign where whole divisions of troops just dissolved into the, you know, in, into the countryside and things like that. So when you, when you talked about a Rumsfeldian sort of concept, I think that's, that's right. Now, the other thing, and this is, if you go back to the episode with Sean, Dr. Sean McFaith, um, and I got to call you Dr. McCarthy for this because I keep, <laughs> you guys, you guys working in defense, you never call yourself doctors, even though you, you know, you, you got a PhD now, you in know, something hard. What's funny is we used to see George Tenet walk in the halls at the CIA. You, you just call him George, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so where was I this? So, Right now, uh, Putin has about 130,000 troops, um, uh, you know, massed around the around the border. I don't think that's enough to seize the whole country. It's not. It's not remotely enough. And also, you mentioned something. Of, and and the, the other piece, going back to talking about, you know, with Dr. Sean McFaith, he was more of the um, more in the gray warfield, the fair, the fair side, right? where he thinks Putin's gonna do something um, that conserves his forces and doesn't really have to come out. Um, and I couldn't, I don't remember, you have to watch the episode. I can't remember if he, you know, up, up to this point, that's exactly what Putin has done in, in most of his operations. There's, you know, there's more of a military aspect to the invasion of Georgia. Um, but in Crimea, he basically seized it without a shot, you know, taking a shot, you know, I'm sure there's limited, um, limited exchange, but very low to, to no casualties. Um, and then there's been a, you know, a, a proxy war essentially going on in Eastern Ukraine for since 2014, where there's people who are, you know, Russian volunteers um, who are really conscripts that are, you know, sent across the border to, to fight on the behalf of uh, the, Russian, the Russian empire. It's not an empire, but I'm starting to think the problem is, is when I put my head into this thing, I start thinking like Putin, right? And 
and yeah. I'm always right about what he's going to do because I can think. I don't know. I, I I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but um, I just so I look at the map. I look at the way the forces are arrayed, and here's what I think is going to happen. I think there'll probably be a limited operation to seize at least the Kursk Strait to deny the Ukrainians the um, access to the Black Sea. I think that's that's going to happen no matter what. Now, whether or not they use amphibious forces to do it, uh, you know, I uh, that's a that's a riskier kind of operation. Uh, you know, I think those forces are equally as likely to be deception, deception or a feint, right? Um, but I, I think you could probably seize that straight with some spetsnaz and and you know kind of do what you need to do. So I think in the eastern side of Ukraine, um, I think that'll be another feint. I, I, I think I, I think that'll just be used to suck up the bulk of the Ukrainian military into like, look what I got here, look at this shiny object. I think the main effort is going to be um, moving uh, south from from Russia and Belarus. And I think you're going to have two pincer move or one pincer movement, but two sides to that movement. You need to come through Belarus to avoid a major river crossing to encircle Kiev. And, uh, and then in order to get you know, and then I think you're going to the second feint will come from Russia, which will just, you know, be across the river, um, but it won't necessitate you have to cross. And I think they're just going to encircle Kiev and they're going to use that as a bargaining chip to for enforce a regime change in the country. Now, there'll be a bunch of other false flag operations, right? So like Putin did in Chechnya, where he blew up an apartment complex like of Russian citizens <laughs> as a casa spelli. And so, you know, he's going to do, there will be something like that where, look, I, I've been, I've been talking about peace. It's been very important to me, but well, I, just killed some I, I, I have to jump in here because there's something that's been going on that has really ticked me off and that's Macron and hit and, uh, and Erdogan. And their little ventures, right, to 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 put themselves up on the stage of diplomacy, uh-huh. and um, and it kills me because if we assume that what the president is saying that there will be a false flag, like you just described, if we assume that that's true, yeah, whatever gains they make, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter at all. In fact, yeah. they're helping Putin. They're helping Putin say to his country, "Look at all the talking I did." I really thought we were making progress. You know, and then you guys, you got to rein these guys in. These Ukrainians, they're wild. They're crazy. Like totally like the Russians have perfected that. I used to watch it as a kid with, um, you know, back when I grew up, there was the Soviet Union and, um, and, and they were just masters at this kind of uh, BS diplomacy um, where they're not, they're not, it's called Maskarovka, right? Yeah. They're not, they're not playing. They're not playing to a Western audience. They don't care that we look at it and go, oh, that's such crap, right? They're right. playing to their audience and it works. And we're helping them. Well, I say we, Macron and Erdogan are helping them. And it, it just makes me sick. Well, here, here's, here's, the other, here's the other issue, right? We, instead of constraining NATO or being intelligent about who to accept in that treaty that has a you know, sacred duty to defend any member who's attacked, 
much like, you know, which has echoes of the alliance system from the, the predating the First World War. We should have been a little bit more cautious about that because, again, I want to put myself into Putin's perspective, right? And he's like, the, the Russians will say things that are utterly ridiculous, right? Like, I, I think they, 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 they compared, and I'm going to, I want to put that out first because I'm going to say something that um, does resonate that they, that, they, that they said, and you have to separate the two, but I think, I think Lavrov um, may have said something to the effect of, um, you know, we're, the likelihood of us invading Ukraine is the same likelihood of the United States invading the United Kingdom, right? <laughs> and it's just like rhetoric like that, that is like so stupid and so like ridiculously over the top and disingenuous. But um, one thing that they did say that was a little bit more on point is if you know, in an alternative future, alternative history, the United, the the uh, Soviet Union, had it still existed, started, uh, you know, had a, allowed Mexico and Canada to join the Warsaw Pact. Like, do you think? Do you think we we wouldn't fucking move the U.S. <laughs> Army? Like, <laughs> hey. right? And, and we wouldn't false flag it either. We would just yeah. do it. Like. We were just like, no, this is unacceptable. Monroe Doctrine, bitches. I was just about to say the Monroe Doctrine was enforced for a very long time. I don't even know if people know what that is these days, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, Roosevelt was, uh, Theodore, Roosevelt was pretty, I, I think he I think he sent like a, a warship. Like there's a German warship at one point and he sent like a warship and he's just like, oh, we're just, we're just, uh, you know, we're just, Doing some diplomatic work down here, you know. But he sent like a <laughs> send a message. <laughs> yeah. Um, at the same time, I think the, the 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 Russians are also starting to reignite some some of their ties. Well, to, if I could, if I could back up one second. Yeah. Sorry, I, I like take this stuff spiraling yeah, in yeah. different directions. I and comment on on um, a direction you were heading, which was. Um, you know, being more discerning about who who we let into NATO, that sort of stuff. Um, it's I, I don't have any insight into NATO politics or NATO strategy, so this is complete guesswork on my part. The iron um, law of bureaucracy. Yeah, <laughs> like I mean, I look yeah. at it and I think there was no planning here. There there was no thought to what we're facing now. Well, over um, time, and this is a Jeff, this is a Dr. Purnell concept over time the purpose of bureaucracy um you know may have made in nato for instance was to defend europe but over time as bureaucracies evolve the purpose of the bureaucracy becomes to self-perpetuate the bureaucracy right and i think right. that that's exactly. that's exactly what nato has become yes i i don't think for a second that if russia were to invade the baltics that we would come to defend them even though we have a thousand or so troops I oh, really? doubt. Yeah, I doubt that. We, uh, let me put it. Let me put it another way. Um, I don't think it would be automatic. The decision that we're going to go ahead and, and defend them and send more troops there. Mm. I really don't. I could be wrong. Um, yeah, that's not good. But I I don't get a warm fuzzy feeling, except for the Brits. The Brits have been bulldogs about a lot mm. of this stuff. Um, well, you would be too if 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 Putin assassinated people on your own. Earth. Well, yeah, and you've got to realize as well that there's a uh, generational memory of World War II that's different for Britain than it is for us. Mm -hmm. It's different for Russia than it is for us. 
I think that both those nations are still very much steeped in the in the um, the lessons of of that war and perhaps even World War One as well. Um, we haven't faced that kind of conflict on our borders or on our shores. If you're talking about mainland Europe, um, so uh, and I've lost my train of thought. I was going to say something else about Baltics and NATO. Maybe it'll come back to me. Um, but in general, I look at this and I think to myself. Um, this was not well planned, and this was not well thought out in terms well, here, of where we are today. Here's the second piece of that argument that neither of us has mentioned yet. So on the political side, we pushed the borders all the way up to the doorstep of Russia, which historically has always sought to have borders because they have a painful memory of people, even when they had a buffer, right? Hitler killed 20 million of them. There's no real natural barrier to prevent a massive army from just sweeping in. They've been invaded how many times? Napoleon, uh, Germany has fought them twice. You know? Sweden, Sweden. <laughs> I didn't right? know that one. <laughs> Charles the 12th, Charles the 12th, Battle of Poltava. Um, and, wow. and, and not only that, before that, you had the Mongols like sweeping yeah. through well, the, I was Khanate, about to the say Grand Comet. Japan kicked their asses. They, they, they. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, 19, some, 19, 1905, right? They, they have some, some bad Japanese memories. <laughs> so yeah, you've got to take that into account. You can't just treat your enemy as this monster. They're human beings with the same kind of fears that we have. So the second, the second piece that neither of us discussed, um, on the political side, we kept pushing to the border, right? On the military side, we kept withdrawing forces. Like as right now, right now, we only- That is what I was going to say. Yeah, keep going. Right now, we only have two brigade combat teams, uh, yeah. or I shouldn't say um, fighting, kind of, kind of fighting brigades. In right, Europe. we've got 60,000 people in Europe, but those aren't all combat troops. There's exactly. a very small percentage. Now, that doesn't include the eight, eight or 9,000 that Biden's sending from the, the 82nd Airborne. Um, and there may be, there's like a National Guard unit and some special forces in um think Lviv, Lvov, I have no idea how to pronounce it. I don't know how to pronounce that either. It's a weird, that's a weird city name. Um, but, you know, they're, they're training, you know, training units and things like that. So um, but not, not well-coordinated guys, not, not good. So the, the, and the, the, the rationale to that though, is if I'm Putin, right. My view is guys, I don't give a shit like about all this talk. What can you do about it? At least exactly. in, in the immediate term, absolutely nothing. Now you and, might be this like swift, you know, transaction freezes and, and this and that. Um, but even that concerns me a little bit because, you know, in the short term, it's, it's a good move. In the long term, you're just creating the conditions for an alternative, an, an alternate currency. Well, right? let's, let me, um, let I'm me sorry, say I something. like going to all these threads. No, no, no. But, don't remind me to talk about retribution, but I want to back up one second and talk about um, military drawdown. Not only did we withdraw our troops, um, I know we still do exercises, NATO exercises, right. but countries like Sweden almost completely disarmed. A and Germany, okay, they still field leopard tanks. Have they been upgraded, modified, uh, modernized? I, I, I really don't know the status no, they, of they Europe's have. armies. They um, have, the, the Leopard is a good, it's a good tag. Okay. All right. Um, 
but you know we're we're just we're caught in a situation here where in order to bring forces to bear there has to be a major effort and some countries like sweden unfortunately it's going to take them look god love them they've been trying since 2014 to to bring back their military um but that stuff takes time it takes a lot of time and you can hate trump all you want um there there are many things to hate about trump i think that one thing let's not say he got it right but i think there was an element of his argument that was that was valid and worthy of taking a closer look at was um nato obligations and were nations actually fulfilling their nato obligations uh, we might be in better shape right now had had that been taken seriously um not that it wasn't again i, I wasn't on the inside and i'm not a student of nato um and i don't well, speak, know speaking of being in better shape right now let's talk about germany yeah right who who basically um yeah. I don't know let's if, get I don't rid know, of nukes <laughs> yeah I, I, don't, I don't know if they i don't know if they've completed the decommissioning of these i haven't really delved into the into the detail of it but like how stupid can you be yeah right like solar and wind are not they're peaking power sources they're right. not base load power so you either you only have two options for base load and by base load by peaking power um the problem with solar and wind is it's intermittent right the sun you only you, know, you only get the, the the energy during the day wind you only get it during certain times of the you know early morning or you know depending on and you can and, and even then like it's it's variable it varies with the weather etc and it, it, so typically you have you know either diesel gensets or um some sort of natural gas backup because you can't you can't have those things fail now you can store some of the energy but storage is is the problem that's always 10 years away from being solved right so even when i covered clean energy at morgan stanley 10 years ago it was always 10 years away it's still it's still not here so you so you only really have two options you have coal which is dirty as shit or you have well i guess there's clean coal but that's you know um, I'm, a, I'm a fan of coal i you know let's give those jobs back to west virginia miners i used to live near there i'm like i'm a coal fan yeah uh, it's not it's not a great <laughs> it's not a great job now nuclear it's like the cleanest the cleanest form of energy like zero emissions zero emissions now well, you have the storage it, problem but the french have figured that stuff out it, i think it's off the table for germany right now i think that they're they're if they want to if they want to fix this problem in short term I really, I think coal power plants are in their future. Um, sure. If they're serious about it, they're, they're going to have to throw up a few of those. Um, and then long-term go nuclear. Yeah. Either, either that or they're paying tolls to Russia and, yeah. and bending yeah. the knee. And I don't know, they may be happy with that. That may be fine for them. Uh, who knows? In which case, I think we all ought to take a closer look at is, is Germany a good NATO ally? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um... And let's das not weiß, talk das, about Turkey. That's vice ist nicht. What does right? that mean? I, I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> or, or I don't know. I don't know. Ich habe keine Idee, as I have no idea. But, uh, <laughs> but let's talk um, about retribution, right? Um, yeah. Here yeah, we are. Then you get into cyber. You get into yeah. cyber. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'll, I'll let you. Here, here we are throwing weapons over the border. The UK has, has um, also thrown weapons over the border. And um, I don't know if they have troops there or not, but they've got this alliance with Poland and uh, Ukraine. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me if, if they've got more than just weapons you know, being shipped into Ukraine. Um, 
And the Russians have publicly announced that uh, they're not happy with that. And if so, if, if this rapid um, kind of advance that Putin, I'm sure, envisions is bogged down in any way, uh, if troops are lost in greater numbers than, um, than they had anticipated and it starts to become unpopular to the Russian populace, um, that is when I become worried about not just cyber attacks, but destructive cyber attacks. And, and to the audience, Sean and I talk about this stuff all the time, um, like <laughs> offline. So um, I, I should probably go into more detail here, uh, but maybe I'll let you do that. But destructive cyber attacks uh, could really be a bad thing, not just for us, but for all of Europe. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, so, the, so the, the Russians do have, you know, we talk about SWIFT and things like that. The Russians have other ways of retaliating, um, which could, could could be catastrophic, and you, know, you don't even have to go to the nuke, you know, the, well, the, the nuke side. What did we, what was the solar flare thing that was that was going on? You know, not even a year ago, um, where supply chain, right? Was that the Russians? I can't remember now. It's it's, it's totally. I'm totally oh, I don't, I don't know about. I mean, solar flares are solar flares, right? But uh, no, no, no. Oh, no I mean, mean, solar winds. Solar, solar winds. winds. Thank you. Sorry. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That was the Russians. Well, that was Russians. a. That was huge. I don't know if people understand that. The average person on the street doesn't understand supply chain and what it means getting in upstream in the supply chain. But suddenly, you're questioning everything, everything. that we feel, everything, military, civilian, whatever, everything. Yeah, it's it's. And the other thing too is we talk about zero day vulnerabilities, right? Yeah. You can only use these things once. And I'm sure they have plenty of them and we have plenty of them, right? So, and they know that too. So while, you know, I would say the, the United States is probably has the most um, lethal cyber attack capability, but we're also probably the most vulnerable in the world in terms of um, the impact of an, of an attack. So our, our grid is a big weak spot, always has been. Well, do you know, I mean, what, there was a big blackout in 2003. Do you know what the cause of that was? No. Do you? Okay. No, no. I don't even remember. Is this New York? Is this, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. I bet, I bet if we Googled it, we'd find it, but I don't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, it's been a while since I looked at it. Oh, that's so, the one you and I were talking about in terms of lessons learned. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like a, it's an archaic infrastructure issue. Yeah. Right. So hopefully this gigantic infrastructure <clears throat> bill, like hopefully they 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 well, they fix this stuff. I, I can't remember where I read this, but you know, we have these massive transformers that we rely on. And in our infinite wisdom. Uh, production of these transformers is no longer done in the U.S. It's done overseas, and you can probably imagine where it's done. China. Um, yeah, so if, if our transformers go down um, in any meaningful way... It'll take months. It will take months, if not like a year, to get replacements installed. These things are massive, Sean. Like, they will, they'll be on the back of a, 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 a semi-trailer taking up like three lanes of traffic in a major highway, Right. I mean, they're massive. These are not easy to build or move around. And um, it, it's just, they're, they're critical vulnerabilities in our infrastructure that everyone knows about. Well, the other thing too is, I don't, I don't wanna be, I don't, I don't wanna scare people with this. I mean, ultimately, if something did break out, we would be able to redeploy forces and 
you know, in time and, you know, be able to, because the, you know, the quality of our, of our forces was, you know, if you, if you take the 2018 incident in February, 2018, that Sean McFa oh, yeah. McFade also discussed. They're right? making a movie about that, I believe. Are they really? Yeah. You're talking about Syria, right? Yeah. 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 Um, so just for people who haven't watched mm -hmm. that other video, in, in February 2018, there was a group of 300 to 400 uh, Russian-speaking mercenaries that uh, went to seize a um, either an oil field or a, a refinery, Kanoko refinery, something like that, in Syria, because that's that's how these like the Wagner Group that's how they get paid. And the you know there's a U.S. a group of U.S. special forces. Um, uh, the Delta, Delta Force, they were in the area and, you know, they radioed the Russians and, and also radio, like woke up Mattis. And, uh, you know, they asked the Russians, hey, we have like tanks, like Russian tanks and like armored vehicles, you know, like coming to attack us. You know, do you, are you aware of this? And the Russians are, you know, we know nothing, nothing, right? And uh, so, you know, the U.S. forces were like, we're going to attack them but like are you sure yes we're sure we don't know who these people are so you know it was a turkey shoot yeah. right no no u.s casualties at all yeah. and uh Slaughter. you know yeah now, now the media is kind of not necessarily reported it as so sean interviewed people on both sides wow so he interviewed people in the, the wagner group and things like that so the the engagement was actually it was like a four to seven hour fight. Like the Russians didn't go down, um, you know, not fighting, they fought. Um, but when you have, you know, AC-130, Spectre gunships and Apaches and Hellfire missiles and things like that, um, you know, and you have, you know, they, they, those guys had no air support. Right, right. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's super key, which going back to the current situation we're talking about, you know, Russia, 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 Russia is going to have their superiority, which is also another... Absolutely. Um, so going back to the just the scenario of how this thing might kind of unfold, I think that initial thrust will be the bloodiest part of the operation because my understanding, I could be wrong, is that Ukrainian forces have been relatively um, hardened in their positions for you know since 2014. So these static defenses, the Russians know exactly where they are. They're, they're pretty well dialed in. Um, I think the Russians moved thermobaric weapons. Yeah, you and I talked the, about that. Yeah, so um, that helps you clear trenches pretty, pretty efficiently. You suck the air out of it and just yeah, yeah. Um, bunkers and trenches. So I think that part of the battle will be pretty, pretty ugly. If if the Iranians, or sorry, if the if Iranians. Yeah, if that's he, hey, that's a whole other discussion. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, I, yeah. I got, I got to tell you something after this. <laughs> um, it, so I think if the Ukrainians, the Ukrainians now have a javelin missile, right? I think if if they put those things in the front, like in the very front lines, I, I think it'd probably be a bad move. I think what you got to do is put them in places. You know, you you can you have, you can have a lot of coverage um, against Russian tanks if you spread them out and you yeah. hide them in non-obvious places. You could wreak the Ukrainians could wreak absolute havoc on 
And I know because I fought the 82nd Airborne in training when they first deployed Javelin missiles. And I had to draw on my maps 4,000 kilometer circles around kind of terrain features where infantry could be hiding. And I just had to give them a wide berth. And the, my colleagues who didn't do that got fucking slaughtered. Yeah, I believe it. It's a great weapon. I love the Javelin. Very capable. Yeah. But you're right. That's what the TOS-1, the, the thermobaric um, rocket launchers, that's precisely what those were designed for. And they used them to great effect in, uh, in Grozny. Um, just completely obliterated the city with those things. They're, they're highly, highly effective and catastrophic. They're literally, the Russians refer to them as flamethrowers because they're literally filled with napalm jelly, right? That just vaporizes and then detonates. Sticks. Yeah, yeah it, it sticks to people. And, yeah, you know. it, it's, it's a brutal weapon. They also have a shoulder launched variant called like the bumblebee or something. So, so infantry units have a little mini thermobaric weapon that they carry around with them that um, employed correctly can take out the entire floor of a of a concrete building if you get it through the window it's just um really 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 sick stuff now how long do you think the russians so during the cold war the the russian military solved for mass and quantity over quality so they didn't care if the tanks broke down three weeks into the operation because they had plenty of tanks right um the u.s is kind of more of a you know quality sort of enterprise but we certainly didn't have the quantity has that changed with the Russians? Or are, we, are we still dealing with the traditional? Take 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 special units like Spetsnaz and, and things like that aside. Yeah. We're talking about like the conscript side of the Russians. Are they still uh, look? As... They're still using AKs, right? At the at the uh, at the infantry level, um, that has not changed at all. Uh, I believe Russia still fields T seventy twos. Now they've all been improved. Um, you'll see pictures of them with reactive armor and those sorts of things. So it's not like it's just the stagnant original T-72 that we faced in Iraq. It's, it's, a, it's an up-armored, um, um, up-teched kind of version of the T-72, but they're still T-72s. Um, so I, you and I have talked about this in the past. I think that I don't see indications that they've deviated from that idea of, of quantity over quality. Right. Um, and um, I think when it, it, during the invasion of Ukraine, I don't think it's going to be a, a big issue for them. Because um, he's planning for a fast, right? Yeah, yeah. Driving I think for it's a just political gonna, solution I mean, rather than a military we, solution. And we haven't talked about things like, you know, Russia has masked tactical ballistic missiles around Ukraine. I was actually going to ask you about the Iskandar. Yeah, Iskandar. yeah like, so what are, what's the purpose of those things? Like, so in, in your opinion, that, is, that is a great question. And this is this gets back to my caveat of not wanting to sound um, unsympathetic, but for somebody who does this kind of work, I'm very eager. I know that's that sounds bad, but I'm eager to see how they're employed, because um, I don't know if we've seen them use the Iskander. I, I could be wrong, um, but I don't know if we've seen them use it in something like this, which is a major potentially a major invasion. So if I had to guess, I'd say. Um, key command and control targets mm -hmm. uh, would be my guess. They're not gonna be nuclear tipped or, or chemical right. or biological war, warfare, you know, well, I, weapon well, Let's tipped. actually engage on that too after, after, after we get through this thread because yeah. nobody's talking about that. Um, and I haven't even thought myself whether or not, but, but yeah. let's, aside, yeah. let's finish this. So, so what, yeah, so it's kind of why, like, I, so I would command guess- Command and control uh, targets. 
decapitation strikes against military command and control would be my first guess. And that's probably not all, but SAM sites, maybe, I don't know. Um, yeah. I, I'm not sure. And, and maybe, I mean, are they, are they too close to be used against trench systems? I don't think that you would, um, they're expensive things, I would imagine, to launch yeah, one of those. Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. So I don't think you're going to waste it on, on just, you know, clearing trenches. Um, it's great. It's a great range. You know, one of the biggest uh, drawbacks of the, the flamethrower system, the TOS-1 system, is it's kind of a short range. I think it's like three or four kilometers. Um, and the Iskander has a much greater range. Uh, so what, you, you, what kind of payloads can they fire, right? So, uh, so here's an example. So you're familiar with fast cam, right? They can't fire fast. Can they? They can't fire fast cam. Is that the mine delivery thing? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know enough about it. I'm not a missile expert, unfortunately. Um, right. But I, I know they can carry an HE payload. How big it is, how heavy it is, I don't know. Um, but I would guess, and I'm sure this is correct, given the fact that I, um, it's pretty much open knowledge that they're nuclear capable. You can swap warheads, so they've got multiple warhead types you can put on there. I just yeah, don't it, know might, what they it are. might also be like a, it might also just be a message, right? Yeah, Could right. Be. I, I doubt it. I think they tend to use it, but I, I think that the, the dual purpose of it is like, oh, these things could also be nuclear tipped if we wanted. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, they probably have other tactical missile systems deployed that I'm not aware of. So, um, from that perspective, again, it gets back to that original kind of discussion we were having about the Rumsfeldian aspect of this, we are about to see a display of um, the Russian version of combined arms um, engagement. Yeah, I, I think I think it will be some combination of the usual kind of Maskarovka tactics, great, great tactics that Putin used, little green men. Um, but there has to be some conventional element. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and getting back to your question, which was, um, have the Russians gone from from um, quantity over quality. I think that um, if, if we would have a problem if we were to engage with the Russians because they have not done that, like, and, and bear with me here because this is, I, I, I could be totally wrong. This is kind of an uneducated, uninvestigated hypothesis I've had for some time. But let's say they were to engage with NATO. I think the first thing that we'd lose as NATO members is all of our overhead assets in terms of satellites and, and that sort of stuff. I think those would be gone very quickly. Um, we've seen the Chinese look at anti-satellite systems um, and practice with them. I imagine the Russians have the same capability. Um, once that happens, we lose one piece of our technological edge, right? Mm -hmm. um, UAVs and that sort of stuff. I don't know what happens there, but there becomes a point where um, all of these kind of electronic capabilities we have installed on our machines, our tanks, our striker vehicles, you know, go down the list. Um, when do those stop functioning and give us that, you know, when does that edge disappear for us? Or, or, so this is, this goes right into the gray, gray zone tactics. So, not only do you have this conventional for us that I think about, but you know, if I'm if I'm Putin, I'm bribing battlefield commanders to you know just kind of move away. I'm using the same sort of satellite technology that you're talking about to 
because um, I don't know if the Ukrainians use GLONASS or GPS, uh, don't know. but, but, you know, you, if, but if they are using some form of GPS, there may be technologies where you can confuse units where they think they're located one place, but sure. you have them, you have them go into the wrong direction by, by spoofing their, um, so instead of destroying technology, using it against them. Exactly. So you have yeah. you have units that start like dropping artillery on each other. You know, like you know, I don't know if Putin has like quite that capability, but it's it's within the realm of realm of possibility. And then you're gonna have like a bunch of special operators. I would I would imagine Spetsnaz or or Russian. Um, you know, uh, what is it? The the uh, VDV. <laughs> The airborne, oh, airborne. yeah, you know, seizing key airfields, um, <coughs> and then also kind of um, Spetsnaz going after uh, you know, capturing leadership, right? And I think this is going to be definitely like focused on a like a, a head strike, like a decapitation strike, focused on Kiev um, or Kiev, whatever the it's <laughs> called. It. Again, <laughs> I, I, I feel terrible, but I'm just so used to saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I let me. Apologize, I, you know, this is not something that you have said, but I've heard it mentioned by others, and it, it's a pet peeve of mine. When they talk about gray zone warfare, there are a number of different names for it, right? And the mm -hmm. Russians are masters at it. The Chinese are masters at it. We're trying to come up to speed on how to how to execute it. Um, another word or phrase for it is competition short of armed conflict. Um, and what a lot of pundits I'm seeing in the news assume is that gray zone warfare does not include kinetic strikes, does not include, you know, tank battles or artillery. It absolutely that is, does. That is not the case. It does. It's a full spectrum. The idea is what can you do without triggering a, a, a response from your peer adversaries? Right? That's the idea. And if you can get away with artillery strikes and, and Iskander missiles, then, you know, the Russians are going to do it. We saw it in Georgia. We saw it in the first Crimea invasion. There absolutely can be a, 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 an element of, of kinetic strike. And it, so it just bugs me when I see these people, these, you know, uh-oh, I, I just lost picture. Are we still good? Yeah, I can see them just fine. Okay. Um, I, uh, you know, I see these pundits who are probably getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars. <laughs> it's, it's, it's painful. to. I see people in the administration. I'm like, how the, how the hell do they become national security advisors? Oh, they're, yeah, smart, it's they're, crazy. Smart, they're smart people, but they have no military I, expertise whatsoever. I just read it's something. Horrifying. Now. I think this was from the Russian press. So take it with a grain of salt. But if right. it's true, we should all be freaking vomiting. And uh, the UK foreign minister, what's her name? Truss? I can't remember her name. I don't know. Um, was talking to Lavrov and she was furious about what's going on and rightfully so. And, um, and Tr Lavrov was doing his kind of arguments back that you, you've kind of mentioned already. And one of the things he said was, so, you know, Madam Minister, do you think that, you know, we have no right to the Volgograd region? Or blah, 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 blah. And she said, no, you don't. And, uh, and, and he said at that point, the writer of the article said at that point, uh, one of her aides leaned over and whispered, those regions are inside Russia, Madam Foreign Minister. <laughs> 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 
And I said to my, I said to one of my colleagues, oh my God, I'm qualified to be the UK foreign minister. <laughs> this is, this is this, and this is a common complaint. I, I always rant about this, but we have the most lethal military force in history that is run by the most incompetent yes. political elite in history. That one and it's of the, terrifying. One of the greatest advantages that North Korea has over us, China, Russia. Um, they promote engineers, not lawyers. That? They promote engineers, not well, lawyers. Well, that, that may be part of it. But what I was going to say is um, when you look at their diplomatic corps and their foreign ministries, uh, there is longevity and continuity. Yeah. They, they, Lavrov's they, been there forever. Yeah. They have a game plan. They stick to it. They practice that game plan. Um, they, they actually sit down and have a, like you were out at the, um, out at the training Great ground, team. they'll, they'll have a red team of negotiators go up against Lavrov. And you know what I mean? They, they game this stuff out, man. And Speaking they know, which, you know, you know, the Chinese have copied that they have a blue force now. Oh, do they really? In north north of Beijing in the massive training area. Yeah, Com like commie bastards. They just, like <laughs> literally, literally, they wanted they wanted to and like have at the like at the tank level, they wanted to have representatives like like watch us in war games. Yeah. And of course, we rightly said, uh, no, not a good idea. But politically speaking, you know, our our elected officials are in charge of our military. Yeah. Um. There's that means. Every four years, we could get a new Secretary of State along with a new bolus of appointees at State Department. You'll have the civil servants who are there long term, but they're not in they're not in charge, right? I mean, they they have to do as they're told. And I think that maybe, correct me if I'm wrong, some of the NGOs were established to try and create that longevity in a sense, right? Like the Council well, of Foreign some, Relations. Well, there is some longevity inside like in, in, in U.S. institutions, right? In the CIA, State Department, like there's- Yeah, yeah. Well, State right? Department, like, like, like you don't so, go to, I would say. Like because... you, you don't send a political appointee to Chad as an example, right? Like no, you... no, no, right, right, right. So in that sense, yes. But in terms of policies and, and, um, and appointees for in, you know, implementing those policies, State Department, there's massive turnover every eight years, every four years. But um, there, 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 is, there is a bit of a- um, bulwark in academia right so there's a lot of people who you yes. know you know will come in and out of academia and at least on the defense side um the like democrats and republicans at least at least like 15 years ago when i was still involved um were pretty much were very close in in, in alignment and agreement so you know the expansion of nato and and all that stuff like that's not the democrats fault it's not the republicans fault like both administrations equally like yep. pushed it pushed it forward. Absolutely. Yep. Right. And um, and I honestly, I don't mean to, even though I've been ragging on our system, I prefer our system over the Russian and Chinese. Of one, course, sure. because we're more adaptable. We are <laughs> yeah. in the end, we are much more adaptable. Yes. Right. I'll because take, dur take... during war, the incompetence is exposed, you know, and then like Kasserine Pass, right? Like, yes. You know, in, in World War Two, what happened? Well, then Patton's in charge, right? Right. And I'll take I'll take the freedom and all the the warts that come with it um, for independent thought and um, and the kinds of one of the things I love about our military is the fact that um, I don't know if that's true today, 
but the the whole concept of you know um, small unit tactics and mm -hmm. um, you the know NCO core. Right? Yes. Yeah. Hey, if 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 this Russians guy dies, if this Russians guy dies, you're in charge, man. Do you know? Start thinking, right? Like yep. Yep. It, it it really works. All right, so two two last things, and then and then I think we I think we like went way 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 over. But yeah, yeah, I got it. I, I don't have too much. Another hour, I got to go probably. What, okay, what time? so um, so so two two quick things. Chemical weapons. Okay. Is is that is there any like chance that's going to be used? Yes, um, and I say that. Well, meaning, here's the other thing. Do the Ukrainians use chemical weapons too? That I don't know. Couldn't tell you. Um, if, if they use them, then you, you're absolutely, you, you can be sure the Russians are going to respond in kind. Um, yeah, yeah. but I say yes, meaning there's a non-zero probability, right? I right. think it's very small, right. obviously incredibly right. small, but you can't take it off the table because we've seen them use, um, what I would call chemical weapons for assassinations. Uh, or, and also like just pumping like with, with fentanyl gas with fentanyl. That in, was the uh, next the example. Yes. In yeah. the, in the, in the theater. Um, so stuff so that's just right on the line, right? They've got, the they have non-lethal chemical weapons they could use. Uh, so that's a possibility. Um, and, uh, and I know that there were reports in the press. Now you got to be careful with these because a lot of times you know, if you're if you're a Chechnyan fighting Russia, um, you'll a lot of people, a lot of them would run to the press and say, oh, my gosh, they're using chemical weapons and it's white phosphorus. Right. It's it's smoke. Well, and, well, no, white phosphorus. You can't use whiskey feet. You can't use whiskey you can't feet anymore. Use it anymore. But I it's don't not, like Well, it's well, not what I we guess, would think I, I is a traditional. Can. Go ahead. Yeah, you can, but you're not supposed to use it on people. Well, yeah, right. And it's not what we would think of also as a traditional chemical weapon. I wouldn't anyway. Yeah, but if, if, it, if you're hit with it, it's a, it's a war crime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. it's not, not a good day if you've got burning phosphorus under your skin. Uh, that's, that's not fun. Um, but uh, my only point is there were reports coming out of Chechnya over and over again of Russian use of chemical weapons. And it wouldn't surprise me if, if they actually did. Um, I, I don't think the Russians... Um, have the same concerns that, let me rephrase this, I'm pretty sure the Russians don't have the same concerns that we do when it comes to human life, um, especially oh, yeah, on the yeah, battlefield. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's given the historical experience, like their yeah. nation of suffering, things like that. Yeah. Um, so I, the last, I said two things, but I actually had three things. Um, Chernobyl is in the path from the, from the north, from you know, north, um, north of Kiev. Yeah. Okay? How, is that a factor? Is that man i don't know um i haven't even given it thought i should know since i've worked for doe for so long i mean like look i if i'm putin i see an opportunity there like hey we like we're gonna have to keep forces here to secure it because i don't know like there could be like artillery around like i don't i, I don't know i don't know let, let me start simply as long as you avoid the sarcophagus mm -hmm. um which is the containment right. like gigantic lead contain yeah 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 thing around it right I, I think you can freely move troops through there i don't think it's an opt a terrain obstacle at this point i don't know that i want my troops to stay there right. and um and and start filling their canteens from the streams and, and everything around there but i don't think it's a movement obstacle so from that perspective i think the question um can be addressed in terms of what you're talking about is can it be used as a piece 
um, as some sort of a um, an element of a of a bigger strategy. I, I would know. use it. I would I absolutely know. use it. I would find yeah. a way to use it. Why not? Yeah, it's scary, not? right? It's scary. Yeah. Okay. So then the last last piece is very very simple. Um, probability probability of invasion and when do you think when do you think it kicks off 99.999% probability of invasion um i think that if it um if it hasn't kicked off by the end of the olympics that's when it kicks off and i and i caveat it that way because i think you and i have discussed um russia invaded georgia during the beijing olympics in 2008 oh, so really? we yeah, so we you, think, you think it could happen before the Olympics? It so. could happen before the Olympics. Yeah, uh, uh, hopefully this episode will be out there before it happens. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we got six days, brother. We, six days. <laughs> we might not make it. I don't know. <laughs> um, but right, well, just be it known, this is recorded on February twelfth. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so um, there's, there's I still definitely think, I still think, I still think it's such a big deal, like Georgia. You know, it was a big deal, but like, there's not really much we could do because it was so close to, to Russia. I think this is this is um, a whole different enchilada, and I and I think Putin is he's already got enough trouble to deal with on a, on a diplomatic basis. The last thing he wants to do is well, is we snub, did, snub China. We did see him go and kiss Xi's ring, right? Yeah, that that did happen. So yeah, I, that's why I think 20th or whenever the Olympics end is more likely. But I just can't discount completely the possibility. I'm going to leave this with one last thought, and then and then we're going to have to we're going to have to cut it short. The one thing we didn't discuss, and we just there's not enough time for it, is we're we're all the U.S., Europe, Russia, we're all focused on this on Ukraine. Meanwhile, China's getting exactly what they want. We're you know we're focusing on pouring resources on an area that's not strategic for them at all and frankly it's not strategic for us at all either no it's we just not. don't know that we just we just put ourselves in a position where it you know we lose kind of the moral we we lose it puts us in a moral kind of a moral hazard sort of situation the nato credibility issue is, is it's a credibility a issue that's that's, yeah. that's the word i was looking for yeah. yeah so anyway um tc it's a pleasure having you on and uh we're going to talk here. about a completely different thing that uh, is sort of rooted in data and sort of not rooted in data. We're going to talk about uh, <laughs> the relationship between U.S. government declassified files on paranormal things, particularly uh, you know, the ATIP program and you know things that have been recently declassified, as well as other aspects of uh, you know use of paranormal abilities, things like that, that have just, again, shown up in declassified documents. I'm not, I, I, I'm not, I don't want to, I don't want to try to go anywhere where there's not historical declassified documents that we're operating off of, because I, I don't also want to ruin my own credibility in terms of, um, and to be clear, I've never seen anything like, you know, any of the things that we're about to discuss, but I have read um, a lot of these declassified documents. So we're going to get, we're going to get a little bit into that. So thank you everyone for joining us. And, uh, Look forward to seeing you on um, Monday because that'll be the um, you know, the next episode we're going to discuss. And then 
and then we'll have a third episode on TC's background as as a writer and and you know where you can check him out. So uh, thank you for joining us, everyone, and, and thanks again, TC. Talk thank to you, you soon. Yep. See you, Sean.